You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast with your hosts, Robert Gowan, Rudy Lindsay, Mike Pritz, and Kat Kalin. So Nick is an ambassador for Mentors for Military and does a lot in terms of posting as well as the blogs. And Nick, you contacted me recently about, well, a couple of days ago, about a book you just finished, right? That is correct. I've read a couple. Um, one that actually recently just started is called The Obstacle is the Way, and that's by Ryan Holiday. He's pretty big on stoicism. He's made a couple different books. One is The Daily Stoic, and I just started this one. But another one that I recently read was by Simon Sinek. Actually, I've read I've read most of his series, but the one that really stood out to me recently was uh, Leaders Eat Last. He talks a lot about kind of overcoming obstacles in different companies, and he shadowed a couple of different people, talks different ways to uh, perceive obstacles and that sort of thing. But yeah, both are absolutely fantastic authors and kind of have aided me, I should say, on my military career uh, quite substantially here recently. I didn't know a lot about Mr. Holiday, but I happened to look him up. New York Times and stuff like that wrote a big article. <clears throat> One of the things they talked about is how he's a college dropout, a former public relations strategist for American Apparel, and he did damage control for them. He didn't have a very successful first book. And then, of course, this book that you're describing came out. The Obstacle is the Way the Timeless Art of Turning Trials into Triumph and seems to have a lot bigger success. Has a lot of NFL teams, baseball teams, and different high-level individuals that are certainly taking an interest into what he's describing. So I'm kind of curious about it. I I honestly have only read a very small amount online about Stoicism and what it's about it, but it seems to be, of course, very old in its development and where it began. What were the nuggets that you took away from it that you felt were very valuable? I would say the biggest thing that I took away from it that I can apply almost directly would undoubtedly be perception. In the book, he, he talks about perception in a couple of different facets, but it's one of the first things that he does talk about. And I think that he does that because perception is undoubtedly the base layer of an obstacle to begin with. What I may perceive as an obstacle could be something that you look at and say, oh, that's quite an easy task, or the cat looks at and says, oh, you know, no big deal, and vice versa. And he talks mostly about perception uh, in relation to some of the ways that Stoics look at it. And if you perceive an obstacle as the way to overcome the obstacle, then it kind of gives you the framework to be able to do so. He uses perception in the relation of evaluating your task with a different mindset. And I think that's probably the, the part that stands out to me the most, especially in the military, coming in as a pilot. There are a lot of obstacles that stood in the way just doing that. And then even on an everyday task, whether it's a mission or whatever else, there are always changes. There are always going to be those contingencies that we plan for and that we look at as obstacles. But in reality, they're not necessarily obstacles if we perceive them differently. And for me, that was the part that really stood out the most, I should say. We just did a podcast here recently about change and about trying to control change. And one of the things I think that he echoed as well in his book, from what I can tell, is that you can't control the change, but you can control how you react to that change. And that was part of the things in overcoming those obstacles is realizing that first and embracing it. Exactly. And that was something that, you know, I, I've definitely dealt with. I came into the military as a street to seat pilot, which I know as Emily Hills kind of talked about before, we're looked at much differently than the people who have prior service or were in the military for a while before they became warrant officers, before they came pilots. 
And understanding that the way you evaluate that obstacle is the way that should drive the solution to that obstacle as I think the key point. For me, I had to look and evaluate, okay, yes, I might be coming in from the civilian side. No, I've never been prior enlisted, but what do I bring to the table? I bring my education. I bring a little bit of experience in aviation before, and I, I essentially bring an unbiased mindset to a mission set, whereas some of the guys, or females, I should say, come in with sort of a solidified mindset of saying, oh, well, you know, it's, it's the military. It's done this way or this way or this way. So I think that with that being said, part of the solution is essentially not necessarily a newfound mindset, mindset, but an adverse mindset to something that has previously been biased. I've never dealt firsthand with pilots, but with my husband being in regiment, one of the things that he said about having brand new pilots come in, what did you say? What do you call it? Street to seat pilots? He said he had a lot um, when he went through SEER school and not to disclose what goes on through SEER school. I know many of our listeners know what that is. After he graduated from SEER school, he received a letter in the mail to our address, and it was a letter from a pilot, just like yourself, coming straight from the street and then going through warrant officer and then into SEER. And one thing that he said that really made an impact on my husband was I came in not knowing as much as the enlisted, but just like you coming in with an unbiased opinion, wanting to come in with the education that you had, as well as knowing that the position that you're in, you are going to contribute to the mission regardless of anyone else's beliefs. In this letter, with my husband being a ranger and going through SEER and teaching this pilot a lot about what it takes to be on the ground and what these guys going are going through, it really gave this young man a lot of insight on what he's going to be doing in the future on his mission and the guys that he's go- essentially going to be protecting. I mean, as far as your take as coming in as a warrant officer, and, co- and I think it's great that you're constantly educating yourself and, and bringing all this knowledge, especially to our listeners, but what would your take be having gone through the program and being surrounded by, because mostly the guys that go through Sear school or other schools that you may go to, um, have, you, have you gotten from them as far as uh, your opinion of them or education? So... I can kind of speak on this firsthand because obviously when I went through SEER school, I, I went through it in exactly the same scenario. I was in the warrant officer pipeline, pipeline for flight school, and I actually went through with a couple of rangers from 3rd Battalion as well. And so kind of firsthand, I have almost an, an identical opinion to that that was of the pilot who sent that letter. What I learned from not only those guys, we had civil affairs guys and some other MOSs going through with us as well is exactly what he stated. The skills that we learned and the mindset that was sort of imposed upon us going through what was at the time very, very rigorous training was undoubtedly, I mean, it it can't be replaced. Partially because that was sort of the first step in my career in the military that I would say I genuinely looked and I was like, man, this, this this is actually pretty difficult mentally more than physically. I mean, physically, yeah, of course, it wasn't the best, but it's the mental side, and the guys from regiment and the, the guys from civil affairs, you know, they've been through, most of, most of them have been through substantial training of similar type. I have the same opinion, essentially. They offered a lot more technical skill, I should say, ways to overcome those obstacles, things that I didn't know, not having the prior experience, and not, not exactly to disclose what was in the course, but 
basic things like advanced land nav techniques and taking leadership over a group of people regardless of rank or regardless of previous experience they really pushed the idea that said that really said hey look you know it doesn't matter where you come from where your experience is it matters what you do right now and how you approach this obstacle or this task right now and how you make those decisions moving forward and that was really what i gained from them mostly and you know some of those some of those skills and some of those people i still stay in contact with because that continual insight it really helps like you you saying coming in as a brand new warrant it's just like coming in as a brand new private and then for my circumstances coming into that arena as a female you nailed it on the head and i think that's what a lot of people forget they get, they let their own opinions and biases um, overshadow what's important which is mission completion and getting everybody home safe and the same thing it's like right when you I hate to say prove yourself, but show your worth to the mission and that you can be successful, then you really start to build off each other and, and things become a little bit more easy. I, I would agree with that. With that being said as well, SEER without, without a doubt was a very small portion of that. You know, you get past that and in the pipeline to become a pilot, you go from there and then you move on, start flying. But then being a street to seat guy, probably one of the biggest obstacles after you feel like you've completed a a huge goal of yours, you know, is going to your first unit because that's where, that's the first time that you really kind of get jabbed for not having that prior service. But once again, the reason that I joined to begin with was to follow my passion, was to pursue something that I sincerely cared about. And so showing up with that mindset and showing up with the mindset that, hey, I'm here to work, I'm here to overcome whatever task it is that you're going to throw at me, I'm here to approach this differently than what somebody else may have is what sets you apart from somebody who may be prior service. And honestly, after a little bit, as, as long as you prove yourself and as long as you prove that you are passionate about it and that you are eager to learn, eager to be successful, your prior experience doesn't matter. And I think that's honestly something that Ryan Holiday really pushes in the book, The Obstacle is the Way, that I kind of gained from it, is perception is everything. If you show up and you are perceived to be a hard worker, if you show up and you are perceived to be someone who genuinely cares about what you are doing every moment of every day, your prior experience doesn't matter because it's what you do from that moment forward. Not only like being in the moment and constantly educating yourself, but I really feel having a good mentor and not, you know, like, because I joined back in 2005 and I mean, it was a shit show there, and it was just constantly everybody's trying to one-up one another, and, you know, it's a race to the next rank, whereas, you know, I think something that's really important nowadays is that regardless of where you came from, because actually one of our closest friends who was in regiment then went to be a pilot, he said that was the hardest thing for him was coming back with um, with having the scroll and then and the tab and then being kind of looked at differently because of that. And anyway, back to it. I think one thing that is vital, especially to our newer troops that are coming in, is to have the proper mentorship and an open mind to learning a new skill and being passionate about what you're doing. Because a lot of the older, and I hate to say this, like crustier guys that are coming in, they are burnt out. And that's a lot of them. That's why they are changing jobs and are wanting new experiences because they're sick of the the crap that they were dealing with before. So you having that mindset and then now in the position that you're in are able to put that influence on, you know, younger pilots coming in. The thing about stoicism that I understand too, though, is that it has a good background, I think, in total. 
But isn't this kind of the same things that we're taught in terms of improving individuals' ethical and moral well-beings overall? I would say yes. You know, it, in terms of ethical and moral well-beings, I don't know. I think the baseline of approaching something with stoicism is understanding that you do have control. I think that the baseline for that would be you have control over your morals. You have control over your ethics. Yes, if something lies outside of that, once again, you have the control to bring it back within the boundaries of what you personally accept. And it's sort of a difficult subject to really dive into because, once again, a stoic approach to that would be saying, okay, well, I control this. However, I cannot control that outside. But having the mindset to say, as long as I control this with what is in, within my realm, that it will affect what is outside of my realm. And I think that taking that same approach to with you at the workplace goes back into the leading by example. If others are evaluating you and saying you are a moral and ethical person, everything you do, you are doing with passion. Generally speaking, most people aren't going to be like, oh, man, that guy lives with a that guy lives a life of stoicism. But no, if they, if they evaluate you and say you're doing the right thing, fullest of your ability, you're leading by example. You're meeting that criteria and you're showing others what right looks like, essentially. I mean, we, I know we love to throw that phrase around, but essentially that's what it is doing. It's approaching something differently, but in the right way. Just a caveat on what you're saying, just to kind of throw a curveball at you. So say, I hate using the same, but perception is reality. You know, the way that you hold yourself, the way that you communicate your leadership. I mean, when you're on the ground with your guys or in, in your sense with, I'm not sure exactly what your mission set is, but... Is there a sense that, I mean, more on a, like a psychological view, that someone would perceive you to be kind of maybe not a part of the team because you're so in this like tunnel vision? Is that is coming across the way that I want it to and not rude? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I could definitely see. I could definitely see that. So the way I look at it is this. I'm an air assault pilot. Um, so obviously we have a little bit different vision than the med. Everything we do, we do with the ground force commander in mind because we have people in the back that we're carrying to the objective or whatever from point A to point B. The difference in our job is that sometimes doing the right thing means going downstairs, well, in our particular hangar, downstairs and helping the crew chiefs because they're typically there two to three hours later than what we are every night. So, you know, sometimes doing the moral and ethical thing means helping others. And I think that that kind of implies that you're not necessarily in tunnel vision or maybe even if you would consider it tunnel vision your tunnel vision incorporates helping others and i really think that or at least for me perception is only reality if you allow perception to control your actions and your emotions if you allow perception to control your actions and emotions then it will become a reality but in essence if you want to be perceived a certain way then once again let it control your actions let it drive you to do the right thing. Let it essentially guide your moral compass to be ethically right and go downstairs and help the other people who still have work to do or still have planning to do or whatever else it may be. No, it's not always the easy thing to do, but that doesn't make it the wrong thing to do just because it's not the easy thing. You know? So they always say and another similar phrase, you know, do the hard right over the easy wrong. I think that encompassing all of that together you'll get outside of that because it is very easy to get so set in our ways and saying, okay, well, I'm done with my work. It's five o'clock punching that time clock and I'm going home. But that doesn't always mean it's the right thing to do. And it doesn't always mean that you should do that. I mean, yeah, obviously there's a time and place, but I think to protect yourself and honestly to protect your own morals and ethics, 
you can follow that same idea without being perceived that way. I think, unfortunately, a lot of times perception becomes reality. In other words, I think that although you may be working on improving your perception and you want to make sure that you're not perceived, I think those things should come naturally. If you're an individual as a leader, as you're describing, that wants to do more, wants to help others, doesn't boast and all those types of things anyway, then that perception is automatically going to be there and there's not many ways that you can change it. But if you're somebody that is out there also not focused on how others might perceive you because you're not always acting in the best way, in the best light, casting the right shadow as a leader, then I think those perceptions become, in many cases, more of the reality. Like it or not, people start developing negative perceptions that overtake the good that you're trying to do. So I use the phrase leadership shadow that's used out here a lot in the private sector, but really it's about making sure that all the time you are aware of what you're doing, not so much where you're, it controls you, but you are aware that people are watching, to your point. I would definitely attest to that. A big thing that, and I've spoken a little bit about my commander in uh, in blogs and personal conversations with you, something that he is very big on is being self-aware. You know, that, that phrase gets thrown around continuously, especially within our company. But being self-aware, I think, is the most important aspect of perception. Because if you are not self-aware, you can't even begin to understand how others may perceive you or probably how you are to perceive a certain situation because you lack perception within yourself. Therefore, I, th I still think, I think being self-aware is probably the first step. Evaluate why you're doing what it is you're doing. Evaluate what you are passionate about because there are plenty of people who continually show up to work every day not knowing why it is they even show up there or probably not knowing what it actually is that they're doing or what it contributes to which if once again if you don't know what you're contributing to if you don't know why you're there if you don't know what you're passionate about you're going through the motions you, you, yeah you're just going through the motions yeah those are typically the people statistically that do not feel like a team that don't feel like they're part of a bigger mission and I think that, once again, if you start and if you can evaluate yourself and evaluate your passions and evaluate how you are overcoming things and incorporating other people into your methods, I think that it helps build that self-awareness and, help, once again, helps you stay out of that inner tunnel of yourself so that others can perceive you, basically you how you want to be perceived. Right. Um, and, and that's not necessarily to say that your sole purpose should be other people's perception of you because – there are plenty of people who will walk around and may see you day to day that may have a perception about you that's a blind perception because they get one one hundredth right. of they a get, view of you every day. They get day. the sound bite, yeah. And so and you know, so that's kind of a I don't know. I guess that's kind of, that's kind of another whole topic in its in itself. But I think the the solution to that is being self aware and understanding that you can control your perception as much as you want to control your perception. But that, there's still a limit to that, you know. And I, once again, it goes back to saying, be cognizant of what you're passionate about. Drive forward with your goals. Make sure that you have a plan to get there. But the biggest thing is take a different approach to the same problem. Because if you continue to do the same thing over and over and over again and it's not working, chances are, you know, you're not providing anything to the table. It's sort of like we say every time we AAR, don't give criticism without a solution and it's the same type of concept especially if you're trying to perceive someone else don't criticize them unless one you have a solution that's an educated solution 
And two, don't perceive them to be anything if you don't have enough knowledge to perceive them. But like, like I said, that goes back to being self-aware, which is unfortunately something that is, it's about 50-50 in my opinion. I think, I think there are plenty of people who are self-aware and you can tell. I think that those people typically become leaders because they evaluate themselves, they evaluate their actions, and they make the appropriate changes to, in, in this case, make the mission happen. And just to add on to that, because I, I definitely think or completely agree with you on the self-awareness is, especially if you have younger troops underneath you or anybody that you impact on a daily basis is self-awareness takes maturity. And I, I feel that's especially when it comes to the psychological issues that we've faced in the past 10 years, especially with being at war for so long, is that we tend to kind of go with the flow of what other people's perception may be of how we should behave according to a certain mission set or certain what title that we do have. And I, I truly believe that if you are self-aware and that you can take a step back, then that will eventually become a contagious to the people that you're around. And I, I know with you going back to like, this is only the 100% of me that you'll see, but eventually that will fall down on the soldiers that you are influencing and will, and will allow them to become self-aware themselves and become better leaders. And I think just for our own mindset and our own peace of mind, and just to be healthy, you know, they always say, exercise your body. You need to be fit for this. You need to be fit for that. But definitely keeping your mind fit and psychologically ready for, you know, you have a long career ahead of you as a pilot and people do experience burnout and they experience, you know, they go through traumatic events that could ultimately end your career. So Starting these things now and being aware of these things now, I believe, especially to our listeners, is extremely important if you're deciding to be in a military field. And, you know, I agree with that 100 percent. And I definitely agree with with what you're saying in regards to that fragment of what a subordinate or another soldier might see. And what I meant to get at by that was that it sort of goes along with the saying first impressions are everything being that they get that small view of you potentially small view of you depending on who it's from, especially as officers, as leaders in the business world, you have to make sure that everything you do, you're doing with 100% so that that fragment of time that they may see you, they're seeing you at your 100%. Partially because, once again, first impressions are everything, but every impression after that also plays into that. So if all they get is one one-hundredth of you, Make sure that that is the best one one hundredth that you can give at that time. Think about social media now, Nick, and how that's played a part into it. I mean, nowadays, social media is information at the moment, and a lot of folks end up using social media for an opportunity to kind of express themselves right or wrong. Unfortunately, that may be the soundbite of information your subordinates or potential people who may see you or, or you want them to respect you as a leader get of you. And so what is on what are you displaying? What are you sharing out there with others so, is so important. So what I try to push and, you know, I go through obviously different phases. You know, sometimes I'll get on a roll if we're gone for work and I'll post a ton of stuff that's work related and still, you know, within the realm of what I can post. But typically for me, I'm not overly organized when it comes to that. But I try to get out a couple main things. I focus on what I'm passionate about. And if something that I am passionate about, whether it's flying, fitness, potentially food at times, if I, if I get down that track for a while, you know, but whatever I'm passionate about, I want to share with others. And I want to send it in a way that 
gives a message because if I'm just posting something or if I'm just putting something out there that has no content or that has no meaning behind it, then for me, I'm not, I'm not reaching anyone. If I can't give them some kind of, of essentially fruit for their mind with what I'm saying or with what, you know, I'm putting out there, then I don't feel like I'm doing my job one as an army officer and two as a human, you know, I firmly believe that I am here to help someone else. That's why I followed my passion. That's why I wanted to, one, serve my country, and two, follow my passion while serving my country. And my overall goal with almost every action I do is to try to help someone else by something that I'm doing, whether that's for myself or for someone else. I want to try to send it in a way that sort of, you know, sort of like uh, Mentors for Military is able to grab someone or empower someone, even if it's just a word, even if it's just a phrase or a thought that I had. And that's not always easy, but, you know, it's not difficult to do. I mean, I, Emily Hill had a good point. You know, I, I'm in the same boat. We get messages all the time via social media about people interested in becoming a warrant officer or interested in learning how to fly or sometimes it's fitness related or whatever it is. The first thing I always ask is why? You know, why do you want to do this? Because if you don't, if you can't start with why, which by the way, is another great Simon Sinek book is Start With Why. If you can't start with why, then you don't know the what or the how. You know, in the book, he actually talks about start with why. Why did, Why do you do what you do? That is basically your mission statement. Then you go, how, you do, how do you do that? How are you going to bench press 405 pounds or whatever it is your goal is? And then what do you do? You know, what it is that you do every day is how you're going to do that or how it is every day, I should say, is going to determine what you do and why you do it. Yeah. So starting with why, that's kind of the first question I ask. And sometimes it's, I don't want to walk anymore. And that usually comes from the guys <laughs> who are on the ground. You know, they're, right. they're tired of walking. They're tired of carrying around an 80-pound rucksack with a gun through the mountains. Sure. Sometimes it's a 17-year-old kid who's in high school and saw a cool YouTube video and he wants to go fly helicopters. You know, the why is the most important. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more, and I think that you laid it out really nicely in how you laid out the patterns and, and, and understanding that there's going to be obstacles and making sure that in your plan that you've developed, that you're describing, that you've also thought about those obstacles that's going to get there and the steps it's going to take to get through those to the to the end state and the end goal. And some of that might be a lot of sweat equity and hard work and education, as Kat was talking about as well. Some people, of course, are looking for the easy path. I want to get back to, to something that you talked about earlier, and don't bring a problem up unless you have a solution. A lot of people like to bring up problems and issues and everything else that they're experiencing around them, but that's one of those clear opportunities as a leader where if you come to the situation already with the solution to the problem that you're seeing and you're at least offering that, even if it's not the best solution or the best plan, the fact that you brought it forward without just bringing the problem will speak volumes and, and a lot of people over time will start to realize that you've actually taken time to think this thing through. Without diving into it too much, you know, we, we faced a pretty significant communications problem in the aviation community here recently. And um, I didn't know right away the solution. I knew what the problem was and it was sort of put not on my hands, but sort of on my hands to say, hey, you know, this is this is your baby. You know, you need to figure out what's going on. And it does. It, it takes tireless work. It takes a lot of effort. And at times, 
uh, it's kind of hard to control others' perception of you because sometimes providing those solutions means you have to go away from your normal task set to find those solutions. Other times, it's simple. You know, if we have a great flight, you come back, hey, you know, that, that landing was a little rough. Maybe next time, slow it down a little bit. Or, hey, we couldn't keep up with you on that flight. If you slow it down or speed it up, you know, there's all kinds of different ways to approach it. But that, once again, that goes back to that perception. If you can, <laughs> if you can be self-aware enough to recognize your own problems and create solutions for yourself in that process, which is actually the easiest thing to do, in my opinion, because we all know when we mess up. And if we can provide our own solutions to how we're not going to do it again, that goes back. It's almost, if not better, than bringing the solution to the table. Um, but, you know, I, once again, it goes to say a lot for yourself in the eyes of your leaders when you do bring those forward, especially in our community. I'm a, being a rated officer is not always the easiest thing. It's same thing with the NCOs. But when you can put down or some kind of quantifiable solution that you've provided, it does speak a lot for yourself because that can go on paper. You know, build your build up yourself in the sense that you want to be the best. You want those solutions not because they're going to help you out, but because they're helping the team and the people who are going to come eventually do that same exact task after you. So while it may not affect you, it will affect many others that come after you to do that same thing. And I think a lot of people lose sight of that, especially in AARs and things like that. Most people are tired when you're going through it. It's either late or super early in the morning. You want to go home. You want to go back to the hooch and sleep or whatever it is that you're doing. And so people skim right through it. But those couple people that provide the solutions, I can go to tell you, those solutions come back to help many, many crews after. And that goes to say for almost anything, you know, I think it's, I wouldn't say sad, but we definitely fall in the habit of throwing those same solutions at a task over and over and over again, and they don't work. At what point do we say, we're going to change our TTPs? You know, we're not going to do the same thing. That is literally the definition of insane. But we do it as people and as soldiers and as pilots, and we, we continually do that. So being that one person who is not is going to say, hey, maybe this is the time where we need to evaluate, evaluate our procedures. Maybe we aren't doing the right way if we continue to fail at this same objective. And bringing those solutions, that, or at least bringing an educated solution, will speak volumes about yourself and about your work ethic and everything else. And once again, I, I really feel like that's something that we have fallen behind on because we're, we're in a garrison army now. Everything, or almost everything, is black and white. We're expected to stay in a very thin line because we aren't, it's not 2007. You know, the the world was much different then, at least in the military. Right. I I was nowhere near the military at that point in time, but you know, there, as Cat uh, said earlier, there are some there's some crusty old guys who remember it back then, and they have a really rough time with how things are now because they say, oh, well, that's not the way we did it back then, and it worked back then. Well, guess what? <laughs> My opinion is, you know, we're we're in a totally different environment now. We train for different things now. The procedures that we wrote, in some instances, were not written for the type of objectives and the type of problems that we currently face. So providing those solutions needs to encompass the idea of changing what is the norm. Because if we can get outside of that, once again, goes back to stoicism, get outside of what is the norm to think of a problem or a solution to a problem differently, you know, that, that will set us up for success, whatever the problem may be. 
You know, knowledge is definitely power. I think that you have the knowledge, you have a lot of understanding of things in the past. If you use it to move forward, to your point, to say, okay, I'm not closed-minded and thinking it has to be the same way, but I'm going to use the things that we've done in the past as a lessons learned opportunity to change it better for the future. And to your point, things are always changing around us so that if we can embrace that and bring that approach and attitude that you're talking about, we can then move forward to hopefully create a vision for the next thing that comes our way. And God forbid, whatever that may be, but we're at least learning from our mistakes, looking for new options, creating a new vision, moving forward. And you just kind of repeat that cycle, not try to live in the past, which I I know what you're talking about. A lot of people want to get comfortable. And we talked about that in the Change podcast about how sometimes people get they get comfortable and they want it to stay that norm for a period of time so they could take a breath because things have been moving too quickly. And, and I'm with you a hundred percent. It's almost, I should say ignorant for me to do that at this point in my career, partially because if I were to do that in my particular situation, I look at my, I evaluate myself right now. We talked about being self-aware earlier. If I evaluate myself right now, I'm a 23 year old CW2. I have to make CW4 to be able to retire if I so choose to stay in the military that long. For me to do that, you know, that takes top block OERs. That takes a degree, that or a master's degree at that point. You know, you have to have all those blocks checked. Included in that is all the solutions that you have to provide. Getting to CW4, CW5 to be able to earn that retirement or whatever else it may be does not necessarily mean sitting there and saying with the status quo, doing what is in the norm, because those people did not get there by doing that. And I think it goes to say progressing any career, especially in the civilian world, from uh, from what little experience I, I did have, you do not become successful there by offering up the same thing that 20 other people in your same exact position are offering up. If you can't think outside the, no- uh, the norm in an innovative way, in a new way, in something that is going to catch your leader's attention, you're not necessarily, I mean, you're not a top performer. I mean, it's just, right. you have to provide some kind of, um, you have to differentiate yourself. Innovative solution. Right. But what's great about being in the military and just the mil- our military now, especially having this generational shift, is that we can go back from previous AARs, come forth and be like, okay, these are the things that need to change. But we still have, I'd like to say the young minds that are now the older, that are in the bigger positions, the bigger leadership roles that are able to take this education and pass it down. So it's not like, I like to use the example of, you know, in in Afghanistan, they're behind. So, I mean, you think about them in the 60s and they were in mini skirts and the women were in mini skirts and going to college, you know. Now, two, three generations later, that's all that they know. We're lucky enough in our military culture that we're not two or three generations later, that we can actually make this change and be a progressive military and have people like yourself that want to better, not yourself, of course you have your your own personal life that you need to take care of, but also the people that you're going to impact that are going to follow in your steps. So I think, you know, even though at this point we are a little somber about where things are because we do kind of have I wouldn't say it's a mess because it's always a growing and learning experience. But now that we're changing directions, we do have an advantage of fixing the issues that we went through before and creating a better military now. And especially to keep it on the positive side, like going back to how 
exactly what this entire podcast of how you present yourself and and I really think that mental conditioning as well as you know physical conditioning is extremely important as well as learning from the past and growing into a better uh, a better tomorrow especially with the new guys that are coming in and the old guys that are are stuck in their ways so like you said you have to step out of the norm not be that one out of the 20 and, and take a chance because ultimately you may change the way that things are done I would agree, and, and, you know, unfortunately, I would say with our current state, some things have regressed in terms of going back to the garrison lifestyle and back to how some things used to be. I would say that for the conventional army, at least, things like 350-1 training and all those basic necessities, you know, all the basic classes that have nothing to do with your actual job are definitely becoming more pertinent again. However... I would, I would agree that socially, the military has changed quite a bit. And now we are forced, because of the way that we're training and the types of stuff that we are training for, we are forced to go back to a time where pretty much no one currently in our job field really did those tasks. So we are having to approach them in new ways and in innovative ways to, be, to essentially be able to accomplish those tasks because it's not to say that no one has the experience but pretty much, at least no one I know here at my particular unit has done many of these downrange. So it's not that we're creating, you know, we're not creating the wheel, but we're looking at different ways to build that same wheel to make it roll down the street and work the same way. You just want it to refine it. Exactly. And so partially, and a lot of that has to do with technology, a lot of that has to do with uh, different generation of people in the Army. And overall, I mean, the militaries run very differently than how it used to be. Uh, the things that we used to do that made sense, we don't really do anymore. The implications of doing some of those, those things are much more drastic now. You know, it's not realistic to necessarily have a bunch of people jumping out of a C-130 into, a, into an active combat zone anymore. Tactics are changing because times are changing. And with that being said, it goes back to what we talked about earlier. You have to provide innovative solutions because the battlefield is changing, companies are changing, technology is flourishing. So if we can't keep up with that, we are already behind. And I think that overall the military, and I should say our, our country as a whole, have been, has been doing pretty good at that. Uh, internally, I know here we've been, we've been very good about that because of our leadership. And it goes back to say, if you don't have a leader who's progressive in the sense of making sure you are on top of whatever that next task is, you'll fall behind. But that comes back to the, I should say, the user end, that you have to be the person who creates up those ideas. You have to be the person who provides those innovative solutions, and you have to be the person who understands why you're doing it. If you don't understand why exactly it is that you're doing it, you're not going to be able to provide educated solutions. So give us four to five stoicism ideas or approaches that you can use to everyday life in moving forward. Always start with the why, of course. I'm always going to go back to that. Start with your why. Why are you providing this solution? Why does this need to be changed to begin with? The next is what resources do you have to be able to make this realistic? This kind of encompasses making an educated solution. And I'll kind of talk about that in a minute. But make sure you have resources, whether it's personnel, money, whatever it is. If it's not realistic, 
you need to go back to the drawing board and make sure that what you are actually offering up can be accomplished. Because at the end of the day, if your leader looks at you and says, well, that is unrealistic because X, Y, and Z, probably didn't do enough research. Three, what I would say, I would say put those into play, at least on a test run, before you provide it up as an actual solution. Now, that kind of is geared more towards perhaps something that's a little bit bigger. If it's on the, an on-the-spot solution, definitely know why and if, if it can be done. But if you can, try it out. Try it first. Nothing is going to stop you from trying except for maybe resources and time. But if you have those things, there's absolutely no reason why you can't go out, test it out. Whether it's doing a, com a communications check in a helicopter or checking something on a vehicle or trying to run a program on a computer, try it out before you offer it up as a, a solution. And probably the last one is follow through with your solution. Anytime that you say you're going to deliver, if you provide up that solution, make sure that you are actually doing that moving forward. Because at the end of the day, if I sit there and say, hey, look, you know, that last turn on our multi-ship flight was like 180 degrees going into the landing zone, you know, let's not do that. And then the very next flight, if I'm flight lead and I'm doing the exact same thing, they're going to go back and say, you know what you recommended last time, you know, not, you know, not pulling a hard 180 with six other aircraft behind you. You just did that. If you can't follow through with your solutions that you are providing, chances are you're not going to be taken seriously, and those solutions aren't going to actually be in, uh, in play. So I would say the biggest one is practice the solutions you offer. Essentially, it goes back to the phrase, practice what you preach. But making an educated solution, I think, definitely requires knowing why you're doing it, making sure you have the resources to do it, and then actually practicing what you preach. Practice that solution. Make sure it's viable. Make sure that it is tangible enough to where it can change with the mission set. Solutions don't always have to be quantifiable. Everything that we do in terms of AARs, yeah, some things are going to be objective, but most of them are subjective. Let your solutions be dynamic. Let your solutions be loose enough to where you can apply those same solutions, depending on what they are, to other problems. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four MIL, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. It doesn't matter whether you are searching for your passion or purpose, finding your way through a military or civilian career working on your fitness, or just about to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Get after it.